0: This podcast is brought to you by Blackbee Ministries International. To find out more, visit Blackbee.org.
1: Well, it's so good to be back on another episode of the Richard Blackaby Leadership Podcast. name is Sam. My name is Sam. Uh, It's always uh, good to be here. It's good to have all of our listeners here with us as well. Uh, Thank you uh, for for listening each week that we do this. Um, We wouldn't be here... Uh, if it weren't for our listeners, and that's, uh, that's why, we, why we do this. And, and yeah. uh, a, a special thanks to all those who uh, contribute, who give um, to make this podcast possible. We've had several... Uh, over the last few months who have been generous in their, their giving to make this podcast happen. Yeah. And, uh, it wouldn't happen without you. And so we, uh, we are very thankful mm-hmm. uh, for all of our listeners and especially those who, who contribute to, uh, to show their appreciation for what we do. So just want to say at the very top, a, a huge thanks to all those who give. Yeah. And, uh, and that, uh, that's a blessing to us. And it means that we can, we can keep doing what we're doing here. And today we're doing another, uh, Leader in the Bible. Mm -hmm. Um, This has been a series that we started uh, a few weeks ago, and it's been a lot of fun. And uh, we, uh, Richard and I, both really like doing the leader profiles, and we know that our audience really likes that as well. We hear from a lot of folks when we look at, you know, JP Morgan or George Washington or these great leaders throughout history. Um, And it's even more fascinating, I think, when we apply some of those same. investigations on the leadership uh, and the, the influence of, of those great leaders throughout history that show up in the Bible. Yeah, And today we're looking at the life and and leadership of Elijah.
2: Yeah. And Elijah may well be the greatest prophet of the Old Testament. Yeah, uh, When Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration, Je- uh, his father brings Elijah and Moses to commune with him and to meet yeah. with him. And uh, and when you think that, uh, obviously, God the Father could bring anybody from history yeah. to encourage his son, and he brings Elijah, that's, that's a pretty uh, high compliment to Elijah, I think. And so um, so I, I thought that uh, I would just take probably uh, a couple of, of sessions to unpack this great man of God. Yeah. If you've ever read uh, my book, Living Out of the Overflow... Uh, I do a study, not of the entire life of Elijah, but uh, two particular chapters that are very value rich in terms of leadership teaching. And I thought I would just kind of take us through some of that uh, in these next session or two. So if you really want to get the full meal deal, uh, pick up the book, uh, Living Out of the Overflow. I think it's uh, one of the best uh, biblical studies probably I've done in terms of uh, writing, but thought I'd just share some of the uh, highlights of that uh, yeah. in this podcast. And of course, when we think about Elijah, uh, there, there's certain moments, uh, he, he's so huge, uh, and there's certain things he does that are so famous, like how he ends his life, a, a chariot of fire. And yeah. uh, he kind of ends it spectacularly. Uh, but perhaps uh, the, the thing that he's best known for may well be when he's on mount carmel mm. and he's facing off about 850 false prophets and there's king ahab you get that story in first kings chapter 18 uh and there's uh there's a ahab he's ready to have this uh, pesky prophet of god finally put to death and uh and so the odds are 850 to one who can bring fire down from heaven and burn up the sacrifice that's on the altar uh, and so the prophets of Baal are doing everything they can. They're even cutting themselves and trying to show Baal how sincere they are. And 850 of them all crying out in this huge choir to, uh, to, to get the, the, the god Baal to, to uh, send fire. And nothing happens. And now finally it's Elijah's turn. Uh, one prophet. And he doesn't scream and yell and holler and clap his hands and make a lot of noise. He just prays and says, "Thank you, God, that I know You always listen to me." And right now, I could use some fire, <laughs> and boom, there comes the fire. And talk about
1: talk about an influence. Yeah, tying uh, it back into he, our our last episode. Yeah,
2: and here he is in front of all the uh, leaders of the nation. There's the king, and uh, once he is proven to uh, have the true God, he has uh, all 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah put to death. And so the leading, uh, heretics, I guess you will, of the day are, are, eliminated. And then there's, uh, uh, and there's been a three and a half year drought, no rain for three and a half years. And at the end of that chapter, Elijah goes up to the very top of Mount Carmel and prays seven times. And finally, uh, a, a huge rain comes and the, the uh, drought is over. And so in first Kings 17, uh, you want to talk about a high water mark in someone's career as a leader? He has taken on 850 of the top false teachers and prophets in the entire nation, and in front of all the king, the the nation's leaders, he is, God has affirmed, "This is my man." Sends hmm. fire from heaven. Yeah. Then he ends a three and a half year drought that has been devastating. That's what all happens in one day. And so, when you read First Kings 18. You think to yourself, "Wow, what could our country do with an Elijah today? Yeah, that could be so influential that all the nation's leaders uh, st- sit up and take notice of what he has to say, what he does." But uh, what I discovered is, uh, as exciting as it is to read First Kings eighteen, uh, what God said to me a couple of years ago as I was studying this is if you want to learn how to be an Elijah, don't read 1 Kings 18, where he's he is Elijah. Yeah. Read 1 Kings 17, where God is fashioning him to be an Elijah. Hmm. And so I want us just to take a, a few moments and look at 1 Kings 17. Uh, and there it begins in verse 1 and says, Elijah the Tishbite. And I always like that because Tishbite, you read that and you think, I mean, that sounds like an insect attack. Uh <laughs> suffering from a Tishbite, and uh, (laughs) what it means is he's from a village of Tishba, which is an insignificant place, somewhere, we're told, uh, among the region of Gilead, and Bible historians have looked throughout the region that was historically Gilead, and uh, they cannot find a Tishba anywhere. There's no remains, there's no coins, uh, no signs, No, Tishba five miles ahead uh, traffic (laughs) signs. Um, They they can find one uh, a bit north in Naphtali, but, uh, but, but it's just very murky and mysterious exactly where did Elijah come from. And what I take from that is Elijah, who is the greatest prophet perhaps in all of the Old Testament, came from a town so insignificant you can't even place it on a map today. It, mm. didn't, it didn't last long. Uh, it's, it's lost into the oblivion of history. Uh, and yet, from a, a guy who comes from a little town that we can't even place accurately on a Bible map today, uh, arises the greatest uh, prophet of God and one of the greatest men of God uh, that we know of. Which, of course, tells me that with God, what matters most is not where you've come from, but where you're going, uh, where God is taking you too many of us are driven Mm -hmm. by our past. We need to understand that when you're a Christian, you're driven by your future. You're driven by where God's taking you, not where he's taking you from. And so he's from Tishba and it says that he uh, goes to Ahab. And of course, Ahab is the the most evil king ever to rule the kingdom of Israel. In fact, in chapter 16, verse 33, it says that no one had ever made God as angry as Ahab had. Now that's quite a that's quite uh, a, a mark in your pedigree where you could say, of all the people who've ever been leaders here, no one has ever made God as upset as I have. Wow. And so it says that's that's uh, Elijah's audience. If you can imagine being told, I want you to go and preach a sermon to a guy who's made God more upset, more angry than any other person ever uh, I, I, I think I'd be taking a pass on that sermon. I'd I'd say, maybe I'll just send him one of my books. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to get face to face with that guy. But, uh, and he goes and he says, as the Lord God of Israel lives. And by the way, that was always Elijah's sermon. Every time Elijah preached, he preached the Lord God of Israel lives. He might have other things he added to that sermon, but the fundamental sermon was always my God's real. Uh, my God is alive and He's spoken, and you knew that uh, Elijah didn't just preach those words; he lived those words. You followed Elijah for very long, and you realized uh, his God Israel. Just, just look at how Elijah lives. Uh, and he said this: He said, uh, "As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand." And I love that phrase because if you're going to barge into the king's presence, you better have a good justification. Yeah. Uh, you, you, people are going to ask you, well, what, what are your qualifications? Why would you think that you could dare have the audacity to make uh, to, to instruct the King on what he should do? Right. I mean, do you, are you a, a very wealthy person? Are you someone that has vast uh, property or influence in the government? Uh, have, are you a pastor of a mega church? Have you, are you a best-selling author? Do you have triple PhDs in various fields of study? Uh, Elijah gets up there and the only credential he gives is before whom I stand. In other words, I've been in God's presence. Hmm. The reason I've got credibility is because I've spent time with God. And I. when you spend time in God's presence, you hear what's on God's heart. Uh, by the way, again, that's something that every Christian can do. You may yeah. not have. Earned a Ph.D., you may not speak three or four biblical ancient languages, uh, but you can spend time in God's presence, and yeah. that's what gives you clout. And uh, before you give counsel to one of your kids, or before you speak your opinion at your church, um, take a moment and ask yourself: Maybe I need to spend some time in God's presence first, so that before I just because people don't need your opinion, they need a word from God. And so that's what Elijah is saying. He's saying, my only credential I'm going to give you is not my educational level, experience level. It's that I've been in God's presence. And so you better take what I have to say very seriously Hmm. because it's not coming from me. It's coming from God.
0: Twice a year, Blackaby Ministries hosts a spiritual leadership coaching workshop in the Atlanta area. The focus of this workshop is learning how to ask the right questions to help move people onto God's agenda. The next workshop is April 20th to 22nd and registration is open now. To find out more and to register, visit blackabycoaching.org. Links will be in the show notes. If you like what we're doing and would like to support our work, please consider making a donation. Even a little bit will go a long way toward keeping this podcast going for the months and years to come. To support this podcast, click on the link in the show notes. We are truly grateful for our wonderful community of listeners.
2: And then he goes on to say, there shall not be dew nor rain uh, these years except at my word. Now, I've stood on the top of Mount Carmel and it's... uh, as you look out, you see a bunch of farmland. It's a very agricultural uh, area. And you know that, I mean, Israel was a farming community. These were, far, uh, is a nation of farmers. And Elijah is saying the most catastrophic thing that can happen to an agricultural country is for there not to be any rain. Yeah. And if there's no rain, there's not gonna be any crops. And if there's no crops, Uh, farmers aren't going to be able to pay taxes. And if the king has no taxes, he can't pay his army. He can't live in luxury. Uh, It's the most devastating thing that Elijah could possibly say. And so... More than that, people starve. Yeah, they they starve to death and uh, it's devastating and just their health falls apart. Uh, And so it's going to ultimately last for three and a half years, this drought. Uh, And so... Can you imagine if God told you, go and stand before the most evil government leader ever to rule your country and tell him the most devastating news he could possibly hear? Uh, it is, it's basically a death sentence. Uh, Elijah knows full well, I'm probably not going to get out of there alive. Why, wh- yeah. Ahab is going to shout for his guards to arrest me and, and put me to, to death immediately. And so you think to yourself, uh well, it, so how does Elijah handle that? If he's given an assignment that's probably going to lead to his death, uh, does, he do, does he do a Moses and take two chapters in the Bible to say, well, Elijah or God has called the wrong person? I'm not, hey, God, I've never been all that great at speaking. I'm just from uh, uh, just Tishba. Tishbite. You know, it's, I'm just a Tishbite. Uh, you better find someone that's uh, from a bigger city and better educated. He doesn't do any of that. He just goes and delivers the message, uh, and uh, which I think is largely why he becomes such a great man of God and such a great prophet. Uh, and, and so if, if you were given a very difficult assignment and, uh, and you went out and you did it, you, you didn't argue, you didn't delay. As my dad always said, uh, delayed obedience is disobedience. Mm-hmm. Uh, He doesn't delay. He just gets it done. Then you would expect that when you read verse two, it would say something like this. It would say, and then God said to Elijah, well done, good and faithful servant. I gave you a tough assignment. You did it faithfully, quickly, completely. Uh, I've got this nice little chateau up in the mountains you might want to go spend some time at right now. Just recouping. Uh, and and uh, there's 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 a Christian publisher that wants you to sign a book contract uh, where you can uh, list all the great sermons you preached in famous places over the years. And uh, you'll be asked to speak in various leadership conferences and pastors' conferences. And you're going to just be able to live off the fame of this moment of obedience in your life uh, you think that God might say something like that, but verse two says, then the word of the Lord came to him. And I love the, I love the certain words that we quickly just pass right over. Mm-hmm. And one of those words is the word then, uh, whenever you see the word then the Bible is indicating timing, uh, because what it's saying is that whatever is about to happen is happening at a certain time. And i I've just learned that when you're reading the Bible, especially these historic passages, that you need to always keep asking yourself, so why did God do it then? Why not later? Why not sooner? Mm-hmm. Why did God do things that way and not this way? Uh, if you're going to ever be an effective spiritual leader, you've got to be someone who understands the ways of God. In uh, Isaiah fifty five verses eight and nine, God says very clearly, your ways are not my ways. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. And so the problem with the church today is we keep trying to do God's work the world's way. Hmm. Um, And then we get the world's results instead of God's results. Uh, And so whenever I watch how God deals with... By the way, if you want to know how God's going to deal with you, look and see how he has dealt with other people. What are the ways in which God works with his servants? And so here's a great example. Uh, and so when you get to verse two and it says, then God spoke, then the word of the Lord came. Well, what is that? What is God's timing? Like, and basically what God's going to tell him is what to do uh, now. And, uh, and what he's going to say is, uh, turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook. And I've commanded the ravens to feed you there. Well, my question is when God told Elijah to go and preach that sermon to uh, Ahab. Why didn't God just tell Elijah, and once you finish preaching that sermon, run for your life, head for yeah. the hills. Why doesn't he just pack all, package all that into one command? Why does he say, go deliver this message and then just leave it there? Why is it that he waits until later to say, okay, now here's what you do next? Uh, and I think that's very important for us uh, because a lot of times... One of our big struggles with God is that he doesn't give us the whole picture. He doesn't tell us how it's all going to turn out. Why is it that God tells Elijah to go into the wilderness then? And uh, you can only speculate because the Bible doesn't always tell us. But uh, certainly if Elijah had not obeyed what God told him to do, he would not have needed the rest of the instructions. Hmm. If he had not given that message to Ahab, he wouldn't have had to flee into the wilderness. And so God waits to see if you if you don't obey me, then you're going to need different instructions. Yeah. Uh, so your obedience is going to determine what I say to you next. Hmm. And, uh, and I've had people that have said to me, well, it seems as if God has just gone silent. I, I'm not hearing God speak. I used to, but I'm not hearing anything now. What would explain that? And of course, there can be a number of reasons why that is. But one of the first things I always ask people is, well, what was the last thing that you heard God say? What's the last thing God told you? You see, if you haven't obeyed the last thing God said, why would He give you a new thing to do? Hmm. You, you didn't obey the last word, why would He give you a new word? And so one of the things I always want to encourage people to do is keep your accounts with God short. Uh, Take an inventory and say, of all the things that I know God has said, have I obeyed everyone? Have I followed through with everyone? And so the timing of God is that the moment that Elijah obeys, then God speaks. God gives him the next instruction. And he says, head to the wilderness. Uh, In fact, it's going to be so desolate that I'm going to have to airlift food to you every day, uh, twice a day by ravens. Uh, and so Elijah, I, I don't want uh, our listeners to miss this. Elijah has been perfectly obedient. He is not disobeyed. He's not delayed. He's not argued. He's not made excuses. He was given a very difficult assignment, one that was basically suicidal. It, it may almost certain death. Yeah. And he obeyed without even one complaint. And the result is Elijah ends up in a wilderness. And I'll tell you, there's a lot of things about a wilderness that uh, are confusing to people. We, we tend to want to avoid wildernesses. Yeah. Uh, we, in fact, uh, because the Israelites all died in the wilderness, uh, we tend to think of it as a bad place. In fact, a lot of the Israelites felt that it was the, the demons prowled the wilderness. It was seen as a frightful place. Uh, and so, Whenever someone ends up in a wilderness, we tend to think, what did they do wrong? Hmm. Why is God punishing them? Uh, And of course, if you think about Elijah, he's been preaching in the king's court. He's the the most famous preacher of the day. When he walks down the street, everybody recognizes him. Uh, But now all of a sudden he's alone. There's no one else watching him. There's no one to spend time with. Uh, we, we never hear in this entire ordeal of anyone coming out to visit him. Elijah, yeah. we all miss you. We're wondering where you are. You know, wh- what are you doing out here? Yeah. We brought you a care package. We're all concerned about you back home. We, we don't hear of any of that. Hmm. Um, everything goes silent. His phone used to ring off uh, the wall with, uh, uh, requests and questions and people wanting to know what he thought. And all of a sudden there's no, no calls. Uh, nobody stops by, no invitations to do anything. And, uh, I've known some folks who went through that time. Maybe they got laid off their job. Maybe they were fired unfairly. Perhaps, uh, one day they were busy with lots to do the next day. It's as if they, they have no purpose anymore. No one needs them anymore. And, uh, everything goes silent and I'll tell you something as frightening as it is sometimes to preach uh, sermons and to take on difficult tasks, it's often easier to do that than to spend time faithfully trusting God and having joy while you're in a wilderness. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and yet some of the best things that happen, uh, can happen to you in a wilderness. Uh, I, I, I like to say God does some of his best work in a wilderness and of course you think about it there's lots of lots of advantages to wilderness. Yeah. Um God eliminates all the distractions, doesn't he? All the other voices are gone. Now you you can really hone in on the voice of God because all the other voices have gone silent. Uh you you begin to recognize what matters and uh, what doesn't. And yeah. you you learn to depend upon God and not other people. Uh you you realize what how little you really need to be content and uh, satisfied. And, uh, of course, Jesus also was perfectly obedient, was baptized when really he didn't even need to be. He he had no sin to repent of, but he gets baptized anyway. And God is so pleased with him that God actually speaks out loud and says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And you would think, uh, if, God, if you were so pleasing to God that God actually spoke out loud and said, hey, everybody, I just want you to know this is my son, that's yeah. my boy, uh, then you'd think, boy, the next thing God would say would ought to be something pretty spectacular. <laughs> but we're told that the uh, the Holy Spirit actually drove Jesus into the wilderness yeah. and he spends the next 40 days in a wilderness. Why would Jesus need to spend time in a wilderness? Uh, but apparently his father knew that he did need that. Yeah. Uh, there's just some refining that takes place in a wilderness. And I've, I've just come to realize that, uh, if you're going to ever be used mildly of God, you're more than likely there's going to be a wilderness time at some point in your journey. Uh, and don't, and, and so here's the deal. Jesus had done nothing wrong. Elijah had done nothing wrong, but it was part of God's plan to spend some time in a wilderness. And so if you find yourself in a wilderness, uh, the Israelites, when they ended up in a the wilderness, they had done something wrong. So you can, you, sin can put you in a wilderness, but also God's will for you can also be to spend some time there, to be refined. Hmm. Because of course, we know that first Kings 18 looms in the next chapter. Right. Elijah's greatest assignment is uh, around, it's on the horizon. Elijah doesn't necessarily know that he's just in a wilderness. He's been faithful and things got worse. And by the way, one last thing maybe just to point out at uh, this point is that throughout this chapter, what you're going to see is that on four different occasions, uh, Elijah is going to be faithful. And the result is his life will get more difficult. We, we tend to think when you're faithful, uh, God blesses and things get easier. Yeah. But the fact is, Elijah is going to keep being faithful and things are going to get worse and worse. Uh, and for a lot of us, that would knock us right out of the saddle. Right. That flies in the face of, of sort of conventional thinking. Yeah. It's uh, because we think that that's how God affirms us. That's how God lets us know that we're in his will. He keeps blessing. And, uh, and so for a lot of folks, it becomes very confusing. They feel, felt like God told them to take this job. And then they find out there's a boss that is giving them grief uh, or God, I thought God wanted me to be the pastor of this church, but I got here. Now I discover there's opposition. There's people that want control. And, uh, I I guess I must've made a mistake because I can't imagine that God would willingly uh, lovingly lead me to a place where it was so difficult. I, so I, I must not have heard correctly because I obeyed God and now my life is harder than it used to be. So I I must've made a mistake. And that's what I love so much about this story. He said, here's a guy who keeps on doing the right thing and his life keeps getting more difficult. But of course we understand it's because God's preparing him. God is fashioning him. He's holding him through the fires that will purge him and cleanse him and get him ready to be used in a way that even thousands of years later we're still feeling the impact of.
1: So this this brings us to the end of, of session one on Elijah, the leadership of Elijah. And we've uh, I think we're going to, make this a bit of a series and, uh, potentially four even, uh, four episodes on, on the life and leadership of Elijah. Uh, as mentioned earlier, um, Richard has written a book on this subject as well. And so living out of the, overflow. living out of the overflow, we'll leave links uh, in the show notes. It's also available on Amazon, wherever you get your, your books and, uh, until next time